Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. We are glad that you are with us as we get started. A friendly reminder that nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official statement of doctrine or belief of any particular school, church, or calling body. We are not affiliated with any particular school, church, or calling body, and that everything we say here is simply the belief or opinion of the man who states it and nothing more. Let's get started with the show. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of Ken and father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com you are listening to the gird up podcast to gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of god here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that god created us to be now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work all right, uh, we got an interview today with Mr. Matthew Bounds. Sitting in chair number two over here is Cameron Schrader. What's up, Cameron? How's it going, Charlie? Oh, it's going great, dude. You good? I'm doing great. It's that sun's, time of the semester. Sun's almost shining. Almost, it's a good day. <laughs> almost. And Matthew Bound, like I said. What's up, Matthew? I'm glad to be here, Charlie. Good to see you. Well, not see you. Talk to you both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, glad to hear your voice, man. Um, how you doing? Doing really well. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me back. The uh, it's it's a bizarre and strange and weird world right now, um, and that uh, I I can only imagine how that affects you guys up at Camp Phillip. So what's going on at Camp Phillip? It's true. I will su- assume you're talking about COVID as the first <laughs> first bizarreness, and definitely had an impact on us, like the rest of the world. Um, We waited last summer for a bunch of regulations to be handed down from the CDC, ACA, 3CA, and a whole bunch of, you know, local health governments, all this sort of stuff. And um, once we got them all, we prayerfully considered and decided to run summer camp with kind of my main philosophy, well, our main philosophy being Jesus said, let the little children come to him. So that is what we're going to do. And unless the government stops us from doing that, you know, illegal activity, things like that, then we're just going to do it. And so we did that, and last summer we had about 800 campers and 46 staff, zero cases of COVID. Uh, We were very blessed for that, and our retreat seasons throughout this year have yielded similar results. Uh, We've not had any cases reported of COVID, anything like that. So it's been going well. So this summer, really many ways the same thing as last summer. Of course, COVID is obviously still around, but feels more of a laxed setting, not necessarily in regulations following, but in in people's attitudes towards it. Our summer camper numbers are already considerably higher uh, than what they were last year uh, as far as signups go right now. So we're looking really good in that department and um, excited to go. Uh, but it feels differently with the way things have been in our nation lately that last summer there was kind of the fear of, you know, one one case of COVID could shut the camp down. Now it feels more like, no, it would still be bad and we'd have to take precautions and, you know, move some staff around and isolate some, quarantine some, that sort of thing, but not necessarily shut the camp down automatically if there was a case of COVID here. So that feels better uh, either way. I, I know that we all know that it's all in God's hands. If he wants camp to stay open this summer, it will. 
if there's a reason he wants it closed, then he'll close it. Amen. Amen. Um, you, so you talked about uh, like how camp was a little different last year. Can you expound on that a little bit? And Cam, you can jump in on that too. Sure. Mostly it was our staff that were impacted because of how we already do things at camp where we have uh, campers broken in smaller groups that travel around in the first place. That's really what the regulations were asking for, for the most part. And we do that anyway. So that wasn't actually very hard for us to to do. Now, we didn't use a couple of our cabins just because they were a little bit smaller. Um, and so we didn't want to you know, crowd people as much. But really, the way that our staff were impacted were the, the activity leaders who were up close and in person, maybe clipping someone into their harness on the high ropes course or instructing someone how to use a, a bow at archery when they're up close, showing them how to do it. They would have to wear masks. Um, but if they were off at a distance explaining things or leading a devotion, something like that, they didn't have to wear masks. We also kept almost all of our programs outside, which meant you know mask-free for the, for the most part, again, unless we're up real close to them. So that was really easy, but the sanitizing of, of all the equipment, <laughs> the beds, all that sort of stuff, that was you know, a burden that was on the staff. One of the things that we wanted if we were gonna lead summer camp was to make sure that it didn't feel um, crazy restrictive, or, you know, just very strict to the campers where it was maybe hard for them to have fun because they're not allowed to do X, Y, or Z. So instead we wanted them to experience pretty much a normal week of camp with just the staff bearing the burden of the following the regulations, uh, you know, as far as the sanitizing and all that sort of stuff stuff goes watching to for social distancing amongst the cohorts as they're called the groups that they stay in um and that was that was you know it was done well it was easy enough for us to do uh so we're happy to do it again if that's what's necessary yeah absolutely um and what what are your numbers usually like on a, on a just regular summer without any pandemics <laughs> um uh, uh one of our highest summers would be right around 1200 campers uh by the end of the summer that's how many we we serve um and Last summer was 800, so it was about 400 less. But what's pretty cool this year is that we are almost at 1,000 campers right now, which is about 100 campers ahead of where we were at this time in 2019. So even before COVID existed, so our numbers are actually higher than they've ever been at this point. You know, certainly if if we've gotten all our signups, then we won't, you know, surpass our, our record of camper numbers. But as far as the pace that we're at, we are at a record-setting pace. Wow. How has all this affected you guys fiscally? Um, well, it has. <laughs> the last summer, um, you know, with the numbers being down by by what they were, 400 less campers, that's a lot of money. And then also we had no spring season last year. We'd normally have field trip groups oh, come I in suppose, and retreat yeah. groups. That didn't happen. And this year in the fall, we only had uh, four or five groups come in compared to, to two months of groups. And so, so you know, a big difference there where normally we'd have probably in the 20s of, of groups. Now, we were able to run our weekend retreats all except for one of them happened uh, this fall. Uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, we took a really big hit last year. Uh, we did get the PPP grant and it has been forgiven. So that that certainly helped us out. And then we've had a lot of donors um, come to our aid, of course, through the grace of God, who've, who've been very generous, uh, recognizing the situation that we're in and donating to us to help us get through COVID. So that's been that's been a real blessing. And we're we're doing, I'd say, well, all things considered, despite the hit we're taking this year, we've um, not had to cancel any of our weekend retreat groups. So that's still been really good. And many of our numbers are actually quite high for for them. So that's been a blessing. Um, but our field trip season is a little thinner than it would normally be for for the spring. We have we have some groups, but not as many as we normally would. But still, a sign of of life coming back to us, so that's good. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, do you guys expect, uh, so yeah, you kind of said this summer also is, I mean, you, you can get what you get and you, and you roll with it. Um, but do you guys expect the summer to be fairly normal as far as like functioning of the camp and all that kind of thing? To the campers, yeah, because I think it would be the same as, as last year where we really strive to make it fairly normal for the campers where they don't have to experience anything radically different. For the staff, we will still be following protocols of making sure things get sanitized. Um, we'll be doing our food service differently uh, to, to be extra cautious on that. But I think that it will feel easier than it did last summer, partly because we have the knowledge of that. Also, last summer, there was, you know, like I said, that chance if if basically a case showed up, we pretty much were prepared to, to shut down. And so that would have just taken one phone call uh, from a parent saying, hey, my child was there last year and or last week and they had COVID. So, so sorry. And then we'd say, well, we pretty much have to shut down. So it kind of made it really cool last year in that every day you knew could be your last day of summer camp. And so each day you just wake up, Hey, we got another day. Let's do the best that we can with this day. Um, it was somewhat inspiring. I'd say in many ways, I always tell people it was one of the most amazing summers I've ever experienced. And I would be happy to never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) To not have to do that would be great. But this year it does, it does feel like there's more breathing room. So, so I think it won't quite feel as extreme, but I will expect uh, that the staff will still hold the mentality of let's do the best that we can with each day that we're given. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you guys have had all kinds of other turnover and changes around Camp Phillip anyway. You want to talk to those a little bit? Sure. Last summer uh, at the end of June, so start of July, our maintenance director of about 14 years, he, he left, he's now at the seminary. And then our camp director left at the end of August. And so then for um, a few months, I was the interim camp director. And then at the very end of 2020, the board asked me to be the the full-time camp director now. So that's a switch that had happened. And then we have uh, a guy, Kyle Wilson, who is now uh, also going to be on our payroll starting tomorrow, helping us out in the yeah. in the maintenance department as well. And we welcome Kyle. Kyle's been volunteering with us for many, many, or I mean, a few years now. But then during the summers, he 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 did get paid for that. But otherwise, he's just been sticking around and volunteering for us. But now we can get him on our payroll, and he'll be helping out to cover some of that maintenance area. And then our um, a guy who had been helping us with maintenance, his name is Kevin. Um, he was named the maintenance director and he's taken on, uh, many of the maintenance responsibilities now. Awesome. Lots of exciting changes. And that's quite a hair. He's growing there too, Kyle. He's. It's true, but he's getting a haircut soon. He's getting a haircut soon. Yeah, make sure it's a big deal. It is. (laughs) One other thing, one other change that, that is, uh, kind of behind the scenes that most people wouldn't notice, at least not the face, but actually Cameron's brother, Elliot Schrader has been named our social media coordinator. He used to do, well, he had been our our photographer during last summer. And so he already had experience with pictures and videos. And he has he was doing a lot of volunteer stuff for us anyway, behind the scenes with social media. And so we just kind of extended him a, a very part-time job doing remote work for us. And so he's really stepped up our game in the Facebook and Instagram worlds uh, for us taking on stuff there too. So we actually have another very, very, very part-time staff, but one that is <laughs> extremely valuable to us and greatly appreciated, yeah. Elliot Schrader. Yeah, I can attest to the value of having somebody who really knows what they're doing on social media. The uh, <laughs> I, I recently had one of my eighth grade students have to teach me how to use my own website. So. 
I understand completely the the value of that. Um, and well, so it it uh, strikes me, and anybody that's familiar with uh, the people that you're talking about is a lot of them are really young dudes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, really young people stepping into. I mean, even uh, you're you're not that young, but you're still a young guy, right? Um, so just stepping into roles of leadership um, around camp and around um, kind of everything that you guys do. Uh, and I think that's uh, one of those big time tokens of, of the culture that you guys have um, and the things that you're able to do just on a person to person basis during the summer. But then also at a, at a leadership level, um, as like, like I kind of said before we hit the hit record here, culture is one of those things that's top down. It's not bottom up. It's just not how it works. If it's bottom right. up, it's not going to be healthy. Um, and you guys have done an awesome job of, of building that. Um, so first, maybe just let's, why don't you tell us a little bit about like the culture of Camp Phillip um, and what makes Camp Phillip special, maybe amongst summer camps and uh, what makes it a special, because you guys, it's so much more than a summer camp is what I keep hearing from you guys. Um, and so you want to, I guess, talk to that, what, what makes it what it is? Sure. I think that a big thing is nothing, this sounds strange, it's nothing special that we do. It's it's we look at the Bible and we say, hey, Jesus tells us how to live, so let's live that way. And so that's really what we strive for is, is looking at what it is that Jesus says as far as how to love him and how to love each other. And so we really push for that kind of stuff. So I think that when people come to Camp Philip, they're going to find a very encouraging environment um, where they're not soon they'll release any inhibitions they had of, of self-consciousness, stuff like that, because they're going to find that they're readily accepted for who they are. And, and don't mince words here. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we accept and tolerate all things that happen, but we do love people uh, and where they're at and such. And so then if people are struggling with the sin or just not n knowing right from wrong or things like this, like, it's a really safe environment to talk about that in without, without the judgment of, well, you're a bad person because you're this way, but to say like, all right, well, here's how Satan's showing up in your life. Here's the lies that he's telling you. Let us show you what the Bible has to say about that. And so it's just really a, a great opportunity for people to, to grow in their faith, to understand sin and the, and the devil and how he's attacking and understand God's grace. Um, so then that's a big factor, but in alongside that is just, you know, the, the love, the support, the encouragement that comes from each other, the forgiveness that's there. And, and that really flows through the communication that we have with each other, uh, both staff and campers and staffers to uh, staff to the campers. Um, but that's just flowing. And so you can see that in the words and the actions that are happening in camp. And I think that that's what really creates the culture is the idea of, I believe this is what God wanted. Like, you follow God's rules. You know, he says this is that he sets our heart free, that we can run in the path of his commands, that he's, he's not saying like, dude, follow my laws. Cause I'm, I'm angry with you and I'm trying to restrict you from everything. He's saying, follow this path because you are going to find all kinds of freedom by following my laws. Cause you're going to be so happy with mm -hmm. the world that I actually designed uh, the way that I wanted it to be. You follow those laws and you're going to find happiness. And of course there's sin at camp Philip as there is anywhere but I do find it here. I do find this idea that when people are striving to live that way that, that God asks us to, that, that is, is just so much joy and peace and comfort in that. Yeah, sure. And, and it's interesting too, because um, Charlie, I like what you said about uh, culture being a, a top down thing instead of a bottom up thing. Uh, but the interesting part about Camp Philip is the, the staff that we have changes every single year. Uh, it's, it's not like, the culture um, it carries over because of 
the exact same people coming back again and again. In fact, it's it's almost never the same. It might not ever have been the same. Um, but it's it, it's top down. But the down becomes the top slowly as people get older and older. I'm I'm speaking to you now. Um, what like 15 or 16 years after I started going to Camp Phillip, <laughs> and so. I used to be served by this mission and I still am today. And so I think, I think you could go to every single Camp Phillips staff member and they could tell you whether it was when they were a kindergartner or, or a fifth grader or a sophomore in college, just how the ministry of Camp Phillip was able to impact their life. And then they were able to influence the culture by becoming a leader. Um, right. So that it's, it's a cool kind of whirlpool that you get um, brought into in that way. Yeah. Well, and I think Matthew, you almost hinted at the idea that it actually isn't something that's necessarily unique to Camp Phillip. It's just that you guys have, because you're kind of isolated and because you serve the way you do, you have this awesome microcosm of opportunity maybe uh, to be able to make a culture like this happen. Um, I, you're, when you say, if we look at the Bible and we say, this is what Jesus, this is how Jesus wants to us, us to live. And then we go and do that. There's a lot of places in the world where that happens. There's wonderful families where that happens. There are schools where that happens. Um, and you guys just happen to do it really well in your particular unique setting. Um, but that takes an incredible amount of buy-in, and which makes it even sometimes more difficult when you have people coming in and every single year and being new. So um, I guess the next question has to be, how do you get, how do you get such like expansive buy-in like pretty much across the board um, for this culture? Hey, we're going to live like Jesus wanted us to. Sure. I think, uh, well, a huge thing, Cameron was alluding to it, of people who have been here for so long. So many, many of our summer staff have been campers here or junior staff here, which are the high school volunteer students who, who come and help us out during the summer. Um, many of them have been through our system, if you will. And so they understand what it's like at camp. They understand that culture, at least to some extent. And many of the applications that I receive when people will be applying for summer staff, they, they are asked a question on the first year application. It'll say, you know, why do you want to work at Camp Phil? A very common response is something to the effect of camp had a big impact on me. I want to have that impact on people. Or here's how I grew and changed from Camp Phillip. I now want to pass that on to other people. That that whole idea of you know paying it forward, basically, camp gave it to me, I'm going to give it back to other people. And so since that's a huge percentage of the people that are hired are people who've been through it, I think it's helpful in keeping the culture. It's also, you asked before about what might, might make us different from other camps. Um, even Christian camps, I'd say, I you know, I'm part of a network of Christian camps and they very commonly will come to me and ask questions about the idea of how does Camp Phillip do what it does with retaining its staff, bringing back staff each year, that sort of stuff. Because for many camps, it's hard for them to line up summer staff, that they will be looking and looking for summer staff. And they don't even necessarily hire from just one denomination. And some of them don't even hire only Christians. They'll say, well, we just have to use this as a witnessing opportunity and bring people in who have agreed to adhere to what we believe, even if they don't themselves believe it. And so they're really curious how we we actually turn people down every year. Regret, I mean, understand that correctly. We regret we don't have enough staff or, all, or room for all the qualified people who apply for Camp Phillip. And so we're in a place of, man, we wish we could take more people because so many qualified people apply. But um, that's just not the norm at all. Normally, people are searching and searching for staff members. So I think that's a way that we're really unique among 
among camps in general, but but certainly the Christian camping circles that I'm in, which is um, many, many camps across Wisconsin and even the nation that I'm in contact with. Right. So I think that that has to be noted as the first thing is that we teach the culture as their campers and as their junior staff, and then they carry that on when they become summer staff. Yeah. Um, what What is it that's so alluring about that, do you think? Well, like I said, when I started off, I think that there's this sense of safety um, and acceptance that, that people come here and maybe maybe at their school, they're used to being made fun of or, or have to keep their guard up or worry about what clothes they wear to look cool or who they can talk to or that sort of stuff. And even if they come here with that as a thought, typically as the week progresses, they realize that's just not the case, that, that we're not going to allow the bullying here. We're not going to um, put someone down because of who they are or how they talk or how they look, things like that. But they're going to find love here at camp, the kind of love that we believe Jesus would, would be showing them. Just love them no matter what. It uh, doesn't mean, like I said, that you tolerate everything. You know, if someone if someone isn't accepted at their school because they are mean, you know, because they make fun of people, we don't say, well, that's who they are. Let's accept that. We help them see that, you know, that there's different ways of communicating with people than putting them down, than making fun of them, than bullying them, you know, that that some kids could be great leaders if they would channel their leadership to positive things instead of negative things and, and demonstrating that for them. So I think that as people start seeing this this way of life that that you had said before, that there's not necessarily anything, any, anything unique about Camp Phillip, I'd say like, yeah, that's true when I'm saying we didn't invent the wheel here. Jesus invented it. He told us how to live and we're just following that. Right. And when people do that, I think they just see the massive change that it is. It's not so different than the salt and the light where Jesus is just saying Christians are just going to be different. They're just going to be different. And people are going to see that and they're going to notice and they're going to wonder. And so when you have Christians who are living out their faith, it is apparent. It's just exactly what Jesus talks about, that it does get noticed. Um, and so, uh, you know, if there's Christian organizations who um, maybe don't live their faith, but but teach it only in knowledge, like head knowledge, like they teach doctrine, but it's not necessarily required that people are living that out. I think that that's going to be a big difference that, that you'd see here as we teach it and we live it. Yeah, no, and that's not meant to be a slam against anyone. It's just what, the feedback I've heard. Oh, absolutely. Actually, that was that was going to be my follow up is like it just sounds like you guys have a situation where um, obviously nobody's perfect and no place is perfect, but um, on a day-to-day basis, you guys as a group and with your campers choose to live that way. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, in a, in theory, every Christian should be living that way all the time in the real world everywhere anyway. Right. Um, We don't. So, how do you guys maintain that um, so that it doesn't change, so that it stays that way? I'd say that we are unyielding, uh, that that we you let the little junk come in and it's going to cause problems. And so like, I would definitely say that I get accused plenty of times of being this, this goody goody or, or um, high strung, or, you know, that I, worry too much about this or that or uptight about maybe swearing or whatever, like these sort of things. But I picture like, yeah, when you just let a little in and Charlie, one of the pictures that I have is that when Eve is in the garden and snakes like, go ahead, eat the fruit. It's not a big deal. Just do it. And it'll be great. That Eve well could be thinking like, it doesn't really seem like a very big deal, right? Just take a bite. But that changes the whole course of history. 
And, and I think like, that's the way I feel. We had a theme a couple of summers back for our, for just our summer stuff that was called protect your Eden. And it was based on that very idea where when Eve let her guard down and then in turn, Adam let his guard down thinking, yeah, it doesn't seem like such a big thing that when you let your guard down like that, that's how Satan gets in. He, he just looks for these little cracks and comes in. And so kind of like this no toleration factor, which is, it seems like a contradiction in terms to accept everyone where they're at and to not tolerate things. But there's a difference between accepting them where they're at and condoning what's happening. Um, and so here at camp, it is such a normal thing that if someone came here without the knowledge of our culture, they might come in um, thinking that talking about God is kind of a dorky thing to do and that it's normal to make fun of people and defend yourself, uh, you know, these sort of things, try to be cool. But typically when people are here, they're going to see actually it's the opposite that at camp, if you're making fun of God or feeling like, like um, that this whole God thing is weird, that you would stick out as being very different. Um, and so, so people will suddenly see like, oh, actually this is the norm here. So it really helps the culture because people aren't having to uh, feel like they need to protect themselves and the reputation by making fun of others or by not being real with who they are, that sort of stuff. And so I think it's just protected in that way. Um, and so people see the culture, they feel safe. Like I've talked to plenty of teachers, pastors, things about that, about implementing this in their churches or schools. Again, not trying to slam any particular uh, school or church or anything like this, but I'll talk about this culture idea and like creating that. And you know, I'll hear it over and over from them. It's like, it sounds nice, but it's just not very practical. It's really hard to get everyone on board. How do you get people to do that? And again, it's about the top down. If, if, if the faculty members are demonstrating this, if the board members of the school, you know, the families of the school are demonstrating it, you kind of get this culture going. Once it's going, once it becomes the norm, then you like, of course you have to maintain it. You have to pay attention that, like I said, there's not the, the cracks in there that's causing the downfall, but it, it's much easier. People will see that that is the culture. So they buy in, they like, I mean, you could go, go to an environment where you don't get made fun of, where you get encouraged, where you're getting loved. This isn't hard for people to want to be a part of that. Yeah. Like once they see that they like that, they enjoy that. So you don't have to sell it to them once they're experiencing it. Um, that then they want to be a part of it and they, they, they let go of the making fun of people, the bullying, that sort of stuff. They, they start understanding that, that lying in order to try to protect their reputation or make themselves look cool isn't a necessary or acceptable thing. Um, and that, that honesty is there and that people, you know, do the confessing of their sins to each other. This is, this is what I'm struggling with. And they're not afraid to say that because they're saying, I'm not really worried that you're going to think I'm a horrible human being and don't deserve your friendship anymore. They're saying, I'm telling you this so that you can help me out with this struggle that I have. Yeah. I, and that makes a, that makes an, like that just absolutely makes sense with campers um, that they would find, well, just people on, you know, on the property, you know, that they would find mm -hmm. this place where they are genuinely loved and accepted and that they would want to, not only stay there and be a part of it and keep coming back, but then also to be a part of making it continue. Um, but the underlying, what I hear underlying there is that you then have to have extreme accountability with the staff so that you can maintain that, so that you can um, have that culture produced for the kids to buy into. Um, so how do you guys, how do you guys police that? Maybe police is too strong a word. But how do you guys police that um, accountability where you are not letting the little things sneak in, particularly amongst you know leadership, which is, I mean, late teens, early twenties people for the most part. Yeah, I think I think I think. Oh, go ahead, Cameron. Yeah. So, 
I like there's obviously a place for discipline and and speaking from the position of somebody who is Matthew's employee uh, at the end of the day <laughs> also his friend but um like if it came down to it I fully believe that Matthew would not hesitate to call somebody out um if they were doing things I've been called out before not for anything earth shattering you know like just breaking a little rule here or there all right Matthew I, I the only correction <laughs> I'd say is Sin is very earth shattering. It could it could condemn you. Right. So, it, it will. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say it's, choose. Yeah. <laughs> should minimize your rule breaking. I'd say it's a sin like anything else. Yeah. No. You're, but, yeah, you're spot on. You're absolutely right. right. Like I, I, it's easy to tease, but yeah. it's, you're exactly right. And but then I would also say, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that there is a, a policing, so to speak, um, of the staff. It's, it's more so this environment of why like once once you're living bigger why would you why would you want to do anything else i think that i think that and i'm i'm again solely speaking of camp this is, i feel like this is a disclaimer that <laughs> that we keep saying but that there's this um this attitude of i'm here to do this thing i could be working somewhere else and making so much more money i could be getting way more sleep i could be um at home having my mom cook me food um, all summer <laughs> long, but I'm here and and I'm choosing to do this with my best friends, and everything is stripped away except for you and God and your little flock for the week when you're a counselor. And so there's there's no distraction of hey let's go let's go hang out tonight. Um, there's no distraction of I have to get done with this quick so that I can go do the thing that I actually care about. No, you're just, you're just there to do the job and the job that you love and that you're passionate about. And so when that is your life for, for two and a half, three months, the, the, the alternative is, is, is less, you know? I, I really like what Cameron said about not policing. I don't think there's anything wrong with your question, Charlie. Um, because policing would seem like the thing, but I think that there is such a difference of it's not that I have security cameras set up everywhere and I'm checking in on what the staff are doing, or, you know, I have spies amongst them to report what's happening. It's not like that at all. It's a very, very trusting environment. Um, and I'm certain, of course, people have sinned at camp and I didn't learn about it. Of course that happens all the time, but there's also something to be said about when it is the culture that you're being honest and serving God and that sort of stuff that people are just buying into that and doing that, that, that it sticks out when, when something's going wrong, you know, if two staff members are in conflict, that's noticed very quickly, very readily and, and dealt with. Um, if, if a staff members had a bad week or something and their, their temper is flaring up, that's dealt with right, right away. Not necessarily that it's a sin that you have a temper, but you know what that could lead to certainly could be. And so, so these kind of, habits or behaviors, they're just noticed because we're, we're close. We're, we're around each other all the time. You see each other just, you know, most hours of the day, you're interacting with one or more of the staff. And so you would just notice what's, what's happening. And there's not a lot of time during the summer anyway, for behind the scenes drama, because they're just constantly with the campers. And so certainly we'll check in it on it. We have evals that I do with them. I'll also just randomly check in with staff or spend time with them on hours off or nights off or the weekends. 
but each other, the staff, you know, they have their own prayer partners, their own friends, and they are caring about their spiritual well-being um, as a whole. Of course, there's exceptions to that where, you know, sin is here. And so someone could be struggling and maybe not brave or confident enough to, to, to talk to their fellow staff about, about the sin that's been going on because they're afraid that either that, you know, if it's their sin that they're going to be judged for it or that, that they're nervous that their friend will be upset with them for calling them out. Like, you know, of course we still struggle with things like that of, of trying to create this bravery in people and really the love for each other to say, I, I love you enough that I'm going to confront you. And I love you enough that I'm going to receive this when, when someone comes and talks to me. And so I think to me, it's there that, that it's not like a just me thing trying to, you know, watch over everyone. It's that everyone's watching over each other without even trying to do so. They're just, in and amongst each other, building relationships, noticing when something's wrong and talking about it. Yeah. Well, and you say again with the buy-in, when everybody's bought into that, then everybody's, if everybody's a willing participant, then you understand that when someone is critiquing you, they're coming at you with love, right? It's not them mm -hmm. tearing you down. It's them actively helping you, you know, be restored to the child um, that our heavenly father loves. I want to go back um to like, I just to point out when Cameron, like you were absolutely right. You spot on about Cameron minimizing sin, right? Um, and not to keep throwing the dumping down on Cameron's head. Cameron does not actively minimize sin. Cameron takes sin seriously. Let's make that clear. Um, but so the like, it, I just it was really funny that you the the way that timing worked out, right? Where um, he's, he's you're talking about accountability and holding somebody accountable, and as silly as it you know, as it can be, it also, it like, I crave that. I want that. And I have so much respect for somebody that can look me in the eye. And I'm not always an easy person to look in the eye and speak the truth to. I own that. <laughs> um, but for when somebody can look me in the eye and speak the truth in love and say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't the way you should behave. This isn't appropriate. This isn't right with God. This is a sin like that. It's it's completely necessary for like forget about ministry for a second. It's completely necessary just for us on our journey heavenward. Um, and I, I do want to speak to that. Maybe you like you talked about how you talked about um, how that accountability can change in eternity. And I don't really know. Do you have anything else to say to that or about that? I would, I would, what I'd say is what you observed, that's kind of what it's like is it's when you were saying the policing thing and I was saying, it's not really that we're like watching like a hawk. It's just, it's very organic. Like, so what just happened, the little exchange, like to me, it would have been, Cameron knows full well that he has a reputation of not being the, the strictest of rule followers that he might <laughs> bend it a little bit and more of the spirit of the law, the, you know, this sort, sort of idea. And so, you know, when he's like, oh, I break these little rules, like he's mostly joking with me, like, like poking at me, being like, I know, you know, the truth of this. Um, and I'm, I'm just calling him out because it's organic, because it's real. They're like, nope, still a sin, Cameron, no matter how you twist it, you're breaking a rule. That's a sin. Um, but it's not me saying, Cameron, you're a bad, horrible person. And you, you are lucky to even be on staff here because I shouldn't tolerate this garbage. It's not like that. There's just this loving feel of, hey, let's just be real. Breaking rules is a sin. Um, and, you know, nothing nothing more than that. And so I think, like, that's part of the, the problem, I think, is that 
somewhere along the line, there's maybe this legalistic approach of, of like, you did something wrong. You're bad. You're awful. And it's like, yep, we all are. We're all sinful. We are all bad and awful in one respect. In another respect, God loves us so, 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 so much. And he sees us as perfect because of, you know, what Jesus has done for us. And he asks us to really do that, that for other people that I don't look at Cameron and say, you're a sinner. You're not worthy of being here because as I told you, I think on our last podcast, everyone who works at Canfield, myself included, is a sinner and theoretically doesn't deserve to be there, but Jesus changed all that. So I look at Cameron as someone who I know is loving Jesus and striving to live that way. And so when he's breaking rules and say like, hey, let's just talk about this, not, not you know, condemning him as this awful person. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, the people I confront are um, very open to that and recognize their sin. And then the the one time that they're not, then I'm just like, all right, Cameron, let's talk about it some more. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds, this is going to sound super cliche, but it like, I think especially when you're talking about camp staff, it's a family um, in that we are there the whole summer. It's not like a weekend retreat um, where, where if there's some kind of disciplinary action that needed to be taken, you go home the next day and, and you hold on to that. It's like, if there's something that needs to be discussed or talked about um, as a staff or individually, you, you, you better not hide because like, you're, and I don't mean that to sound scary. Like you, you, there's nowhere to hide because you're going to have a staff meeting um, that day. You're going to have a weekend, the, the following um, few days where you want to spend time with these people that mean the world to you. Um, and you're going to pick it all up with a fresh group of kids the next week and, and do ministry again together. And so, it stops being it. It stops being about the the fear of of being judged for what you've done or um, or things like that. And it's just the the craving of I want to get right with whoever I need to get right with, um, especially God, so that we can just get back to doing His work. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. So how do you um, how do those conversations? often look you, uh, you talked about um kind of a camp meeting um and i can imagine that there's probably two kinds of conversations right there's the whole camp like the whole staff this is what we need to talk about we need to address this issue that we see happening and then there's the kind of the private conversation right um so matthew you want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what those conversations look like sure the private conversations um there's a method we call it's care fronting instead of confronting <laughs> um but but really it's just just the same concept of confronting but it gives some some examples of it and so the idea is is that if i go to cameron i'm not saying something along the lines of hey it just seems like you don't even care about rules because cameron might be defensive of that he might say like well i do care about rules it's just that there's some that i think are maybe over the top or that don't really pertain to me in certain moments or whatever. So instead, I would give specific factual examples of things that I would see. So for example, this may or may not be hypothetical, like, hey, there's this curfew of midnight, and you've been out to one o'clock. Like that's, that's factual. It's not a judgment of, of any of like what his feelings or attitude towards the rules are. It's just you're out past one. And he can acknowledge that. Yep, that's true. And I can say, so why, you know, why was that? And then maybe in what he tells me that he was um, helping a staff whose, you know, mom just was diagnosed with cancer or something like that. And he, they stayed up late and he's sorry, or, you know, like whatever that, or, or maybe he tells me that, you know, he has a crush on this girl and this was his chance to talk to her that he's just telling me what it was and why he did it. He's not saying I'm above the law. He's not saying anything. He's just telling me exactly what happened. So I can hear that and I can evaluate that. I and mean, there's all kinds of examples like that, but the, the main premise is you approach them with what 
is factual with what you saw, with what you can say, this is what happened and not a judgment of them. So if, if I see that um, a counselor is, in my opinion, not appropriate with campers because because I it seems like they're getting too worked up that they're yelling or something like that. And I, I can call them out and say, I saw you yell at the campers. That's something I can actually say that I saw. I can ask them about it. Maybe say, yeah, because a camper picked up a flaming piece of wood and was swinging it. So I yelled, stop it. And I say, oh, all I heard was you screaming, stop it. And I, I thought it was just over the top. Like, you know, you just, you hear out the explanation. And because most of the time you find out everyone has this story that like gives some sort of logic to their actions. You may or may not agree. And they might still come to the conclusion that they could have chosen differently. And you can walk them through that and discipline that so they can learn something different for the future but you you understand that normally someone doesn't just say i choose sin in this moment and i'm going to go and do something wrong um that that's just not at least not in my circles at camp it's not common that that's just how it went down is that someone looked to cause problems uh so so i think having those conversations of just being really honest of what you saw and what you'd rather see and letting them share their story of why they did what they did and normally it will acknowledge that they could have done something differently um, that's very, very helpful. And certainly there have been times where I've sat down to discipline someone to talk to them. And I've learned something along the way that that might change my perspective about why they did what they did. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, you know, like your posture of uh, being willing to listen first. Um, I think obviously that fact thing is just so <laughs> pertinent to every situation um, where I say, you think about how many confrontations or carefrontations maybe, uh, would, <laughs> would have gone differently. Uh, like I think about my students on a day-to-day basis, instead of being like, why are you being a knucklehead, man? Like, dude, you've interrupted mm-hmm. me five times during class. Those are two very mm-hmm. different conversations. And the one that starts with a statement of fact, I mean, it's not likely they're going to deny it. They're going to mm-hmm. like, that's the whole conversation is going to be different because I haven't accused them of being whatever it might be. Um, I, I appreciate that a lot. I'm going to take that and start using that like immediately because I need to. Um, but, uh, oh, cool. well, I can say the, the, um, you said again, the, the idea that, I mean, Cameron started out by saying this is a family. I think we, a lot of times we bring baggage into the idea of family, right? So, um, mm-hmm. when you talk about like, you know, we're, a, we're tight. We're a family. I think a lot of people sometimes don't really latch onto that the way we would hope they would, um, because they mm-hmm. bring a lot of baggage to that. But this is how a family ought to function is like this conversation we're mm-hmm. having. This is how a family should function. Um, and the idea of if you're absolutely in love with somebody, you're willing to hear them out, right? You're willing to see mm-hmm. things though from their perspective for a couple of minutes. Um, and, and that's, I, that's what I hear you saying here is, is, um, the willingness to wait and and the respect it takes to just say, I'm willing to let you explain yourself. And then a lot of times in that, expla- in that explanation, uh, somebody will see that their behavior wasn't appropriate, you know? Um, and I appreciate that mm-hmm. about what you're saying. Sure. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Um, as... As you go into a new year, um, if you're having a hard time, obviously, um, just because you guys have the culture that you do, um, you get to be pretty selective about who you bring into camp. Um, But if you have somebody that's really struggling to get into, you know, camp culture, maybe is the best way to say that, who's struggling to toe the line quite the way 
you guys would hope they would, um, especially as a mm-hmm. newcomer. How what kind of strategies do you attack that with? Do you just kind of hope that it happens, um, or do you have you know a, a, an action plan as to how to get them on board? Sure, uh, definitely. I hope that it happens. That part's true, but I I will be sensitive to it and watching for it, uh, especially starting with um, people who are not from a camp background. So people who didn't do our our camper program or our junior staff program. And so they've, they've just come to camp and, and like heard good things about it. So they want to try it or they found us online. So they're applying. So I'll be particularly honing in to see how they're buying into the culture, what they think, what they feel. So I'll be meeting with them, checking in with them, that sort of thing, and encouraging uh, the summer staff uh, to do the same with, with them. Now, I'll, the next kind of tier of people that I'm particularly honing in on are those who it's their first year staff, even if they've done junior staff and been a camper you know, honing in on them is a very common thing that I will find from first years, whether it's that they were camp experienced or not, is that they'll say, I just don't fit in here because everyone here is perfect. And they'll talk about how like no one does everything wrong, anything wrong. They just love Jesus so much. And I'm just not like that. And they say, don't misunderstand me. You know, of course I love Jesus, but this, like the way that these people are, and then being able to talk to them to say like, nope, so many people feel that way and you have to understand that all these people here sin like everyone does and so so each person here probably felt what you felt at some point in time of like wow all these people have it so together but they don't they've all had their uh, their struggles as well it's just that while they're here they're able to to kind of let go of that and and serve Jesus and so I'll, I'll have great conversations with them that we can share through and and it is is true that there is occasionally uh, a staff member who who really still struggles that might might still feel like they just don't fit in or, or they're insecure about how others might view them because they're not as talented or something like that or, or they don't know the bible as well as someone else those sorts of things like it will happen it's extremely rare um by far less than once a summer but but um but it can happen and so i think honing in on them being very deliberate about having conversations with them over and over until we're on a in a good place with it or or like talking to, to someone I, I trust and saying like hey this person could use a little extra love would you you know camera would you mind spending some time with them ask them to to hang out this weekend or whatever like that sort of stuff to to try to help that process uh so i think it's very intentional it's, it's not so different than i would imagine like in a classroom setting if you notice that there's a child uh, who who there's something up with, whether that they seem to be the outcast in the classroom, or whether they seem to be um, causing the ostracizing. You know that that they are they have this repelling personality that the way they're <laughs> treating others makes people not want to be around them. Then you know, like to identify that sort of thing and and go and talk with them, spend time with them, understand what it is that's making them do what they do. And so you know, you you said the example. You know, you've interrupted me five times in class versus saying you're a knucklehead, but like really there's something deeper there. Like, does the child want attention? If so, why? Or is it that the child isn't understanding you and they're frustrated and so they're trying to, to learn something. And so like getting to the bottom at what's at the root of what they're doing. And then then when you know that, you can work with that. I, I think of a child that I had in a, I did a after school program for boys once I called it Tiny Tims and the, these boys, there was this one boy in particular who really sticks out to me who, who is fairly like, you know, this is an opinion, but quite naughty. And he would, he would know that. But the more I spent time with him, the more we talked, the more it became so apparent that he was just craving attention, craving love. And he didn't know discipline. It, it didn't make sense to him. But the more we talked about it, he was so good. By the end of that program, he was, he was coming to me. 
was I better today? I thought I was better today. Yep, you were awesome today. And these sorts of things and that he was growing. And um, now the, the boy is in high school. I, he's, he's just one of the sweetest children I know. He's, he's, he's a great kid, uh, really, really kind. He, he ended up starting to camp, come to Camp Phillip, actually. Um, just a really good guy. And I think it's that same concept of understanding people and where they're at and giving them the time of day to learn their story um, and care about why they're doing what they're doing instead of just, hey, what you're doing is wrong, stop it. Um, but to understand that there's probably a reason they're doing it beyond just that they're sinful. There's something that's happening. And so spending the time with those people, I'm kind of rambling and repeating, I recognize, but there it is. Um, learn the person. Yeah, well, I think that uh, relates directly to the Jesus you see in the Gospels, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite uh, podcasts I've ever done, I did like a half an hour long talk about how John, the Apostle John constantly refers to himself as, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved and said, you know, mm -hmm. I bet, I bet if the other disciples read that, they'd be like, are you sure you're the one Jesus loved? I'm pretty sure I'm the one Jesus loved. You know, and I'm pretty sure Judas, part of the reason Judas was so upset after he betrayed Jesus, was like, man, I'm the one that Jesus loved too. You know, like I have a hard time believing that the people Jesus interacted with didn't all believe that he was the one that they loved. And you do that by having that personal relationship. You're talking about treating people as individuals instead of treating them as, um, you know, as a group. Um, I, I, I even hear that in the language that you, in the language that you use, I, even just the, the, the differentiation between like campers and camp as a whole, right? Like you guys have an attitude of, you know, individuals coming to us, um, and we deal with them as individuals. We treat them as individuals. We love them as individuals. And then we send them back out into the world as individuals. And that's, uh, that's something to be respected as well. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I feel like I'm just pouring love on you guys, but I respect what you do. <laughs> uh, I, I'm okay with loving up on you. Um, so oh, what was I going to ask now? I lost my train of thought. Um, you got anything? Man, I had something. I got to think of it. I was going to just say uh, to the point about treating people as individuals, something that's kind of cool. And I'm, this probably isn't um, to a large extent unique to camp, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that every single person that comes to camp pretty much um, for summer camp or for junior staff, or if they apply for salt staff, whoever is, is in charge of them. So Matthew for salt staff or Matthew and, and Eli and the junior staff directors for junior staff um, or the counselors for campers, they know the people that are coming before they arrive. Salt staff have in-depth um, application processes and interviews, junior staff do applications and um, the the parents of all the campers fill out evals. And so even before, like I remember when I was a counselor, you you sit in the cabin before they arrive and you read the evals. And so you're memorizing names before they even arrive and then it's just matching the face with them. And you already know a little bit about them and their situation so that you're better able to give them what they need that week. And I think that's that's just a big part of what you were talking about. I still can't find it. It's lost and I can't get it back. <laughs> it's lost. Um, so um, if you guys, uh, I don't know, man, what do you, uh, I, I feel so dumb that I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Shoot. It was it's a good too question. Much, too much Greek. Too much Greek. Delete some vocabulary. Okay. Maybe. Can I can't do that you? yet. 
can I mean, we help you remember it? Was it was it in regards to the culture? Was it in regards to getting to know people? To it was in regards to culture. Up? It was in regards regards to culture. It was regards to kids, and it did have something to do with treating people as individuals. Uh, campers as individuals who then go out that we return them to their churches, homes, schools. Oh, okay, like I got you. I got it. All right. So how would you how would you go about addressing someone who claims? Um, and I haven't heard this specifically about you guys, but I've heard things about I've heard similar claims about similar programs where you have this reputation or culture or whatever it is, this like idyllic nature, you know, um, how do you how how would you um, interact, I guess, with someone who made the claim that it's a synthetic culture, that it's not like. It's it's something that's manufactured while they're there, and it's not real life. It couldn't really be accomplished in real life outside of it. Um, people aren't really changing. They just they're positive, peer pressured, and behaving the way that they do for a week, and then when they leave, everything goes back to normal, and they'll like it's 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 just fluff. How would you respond to that, Matthew? Do you mind that's, if I kick this one off? You go ahead, Cameron. All right. The first thing that popped in my mind was that the sanctified life of a Christian should be idyllic. I, I, as a sinner who deserves nothing but condemnation for what I've done, when instead you hand me the precious blood of Jesus, grace, the promise of heaven, and a, Christ, a, a Christian community that's passionate about that hope and that gospel and also gets to share it with children as their job every single day. If you give me that, my goodness. <laughs> is that what heaven looks like? You know, like that, the, the fact that that is idyllic or manufactured, it's certainly intentional. Um, I don't know if that's the same thing as manufactured. Um, but to say that that is something that, um, that needs to stay on Camp Phillips property. Uh, frankly, it's something that's, that's an idea that's been disproven, you know, um, because when I talk about Camp Phillip or when I talk about the experiences I've had there, um, when I talk about the Jesus that I learned about there, my eyes light up, my heart starts beating faster. I'm leaning forward in my chair right now. <laughs> like it, it's something that 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 has labeled me in in a lot of ways um, b- because I've been affected um, by camp's ministry so much. Um, well, but and you say camp's ministry, but you didn't light up like that till you started talking about Jesus. It's frankly. true. Well, and 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 they're they're synonymous in my mind, you know, because what is camp's ministry? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and I'd yeah. say, well, yeah, go ahead, Matthew. Just, just to add, like what, what Cameron was saying, I don't disagree with, but I'd say, like, probably to that person who would be saying it to me, like, like essentially, well, that's not really real. You just create this here, but that's that's it. I'd say, like, well, I guess I would question them if they think then that Jesus and what he's asking us is ridiculous because I'd say we're just following what Jesus asks us to do. So to love each other, to care for each other, to talk to each other, you know, in certain ways, like this sort of stuff, like we're just following those commands. So I'd say, if you're saying that this is manufactured, no one really lives this way. I'd say, I believe that the devil is asking you to believe a lie. That if you're saying you couldn't implement this in your family or your school or your church or whatever, like if you're saying that that can't happen, if you were to ask me if it's the devil or Jesus suggesting this to you, that it is not possible to do this at your church or school or family, I, there's no part of me that believes that Jesus is the one planting that idea in your mind, that this isn't something that you could do. I would say that it is the devil trying to tell you that 
so that you can throw up your hands and say, whatever, this is dumb. We can't do this. I'd say there's nothing about the Bible that would suggest that this isn't possible. It would, it would, it would suggest that certainly there's challenges that come with it. As I said, camp has sin here. You know, there are, there are certainly things that happen here that we're not proud of that they, that they happen, but we recognize that we are sinful and we will always be struggling. So when it goes to a church or a family or a school or in a community, whatever, like, yep, you can expect that there will be challenges that come up. You can expect that sin will ha- happen, but there will be differences. And this has been, I mean, this is, I mean, Cameron would be an example of this, someone who left camp um, and went off to MLC and decided there's certain things I'm going to do. And so now he has, you know, morning praise, evening praise, things like that, that, that happened there. And there's a culture that's happening. I'm not saying it's because Cameron's the best person in the world or because Camp Philip is so wonderful, but because Jesus is very real and keeps to his promises. And, and so, so like he's faithful and Cameron goes off inspired and led by the Holy Spirit goes and does these things. And, you know, there's dividends, the, the seeds being planted. And this is true. So many families have told me about things that they learned at, at camp, that their kids learned that they brought home to them or teachers who learned stuff from Camp Philip that implemented in their classrooms, pastors in their congregations. That's right. Charlie, you during this podcast, what happens? I tell you about this discipline thing, the uh, care fronting and like to go with facts. And you say, hey, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to use that. It's, it's little things like that that people will pick up on at, at camp. They'll start implementing and they'll see actually it does make a big difference. And so the more of that culture that they take, the more difference it's going to make. Well, and, and to keep using the word idyllic, there's a big difference between idyllic and easy. You know, like mm-hmm. um, the fact that the burden becomes light doesn't mean that there isn't a burden. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely going to be a burden and there's going to be increased temptation anytime that you approach um, a culture like this or approach a, a mission like this. Um, the temptation, like, the devil doesn't want it to happen. Um, and he's got a whole lot of tools at his disposal to tear it down. And he will actively try to do that. Uh, the fact that people are on fire for Jesus or that, you know, a really healthy culture is developing or whatever it might be in an organization doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Um, it does make it a whole lot more worthwhile and it does make the burden a lot easier to carry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Charlie. Yeah. Awesome. So we got to ask that question that uh, we ask every guest, um, and, and you've answered it before, but I'm interested to hear what you say now. Uh, what does it mean to be a man, or, or what makes a Christian man? Cameron, why don't you start? <laughs> yeah. Uh, How have you skated by this long? You've been on the podcast enough skating. times. You should have had to answer this by now. It's true. Um, I mean, th- there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. But the thing that... Um, that I've really focused on in my life is um, that to be the best Christian man I can be, I want to let my passion for what Christ has done for me be visible to all. Um, and so that can, that can manifest itself in the, the, the projects that I create in the, the things that others ask me to do um, for them or in the most mundane uh, Greek vocab quizzes that I take every single day. You know, I, you, you better be able to see that Jesus died for me. When I hand in that test with a smile on my face and wiping the crust out of my eyes, Charlie. <laughs> Hit me right in the chest, man. Hit me right in the chest. Yeah. Oh, it hit me right in the chest. Yeah, I needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matthew, what do you say? I say the last time I was on this podcast, we um ended up in a long debate about this question. And that's why I would right. say I that forgot I want about that. Christians, period. And so a Christian man is a man who is <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so 
I would uh, completely, honestly, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and even I would lean really hard into it and say, you're, you're absolutely stinking right. Um, and the only, the only differences are the ones laid out in scripture where the Lord says, this is your role versus this is your role. But that does not change my relationship with my heavenly father and iota. Not in the slightest. So I, I don't know if I've matured or what, <laughs> but I agree with you, Matthew. I agree with you, Matthew, especially the way you just said it now. Like, forget about the man part. Forget about any of it besides me and Jesus. And he defines it and I follow. And uh, he has I, he has given me guidance. Um, beyond that, it's me following him. And that's going to look different for everybody and it's going to change um maybe throughout no it's not going to change throughout time my attitude towards it might change and i might have different interests i might have different i see that's the thing that sorry now i'm gonna no, i'm gonna go on forever and ever that's getting the choked thing that's up been bothering me that's the thing that's been bothering me a little bit um in the last year or two bothering me about myself and a little bit about the people around me is i happen to enjoy good whiskey and a cigar i happen to enjoy spending time outside. I happen to enjoy wearing cowboy boots and jeans. <laughs> I happen to eat red meat pretty much every night for dinner. But none of those things make me a man. None of those things are even a part of my identity. My relationship with my Heavenly Father and following Him is my identity. Um, and the rest of it, that's fluff and that doesn't really matter so much. So I don't know if I don't know if you changed it or the Holy Spirit changed it. I don't know, man. I'll, I'll roll with it. <laughs> I know. I, sh- I kinda, part of me wants to go listen to that. Part of me doesn't even <laughs> want to hear what I said. I part of me doesn't even want to know what I said. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, go ahead. Uh, before we leave here, why don't you plug your plug your stuff here? Oh, I'm sorry, Camp Philip, and you personally. How can people find Camp Philip information, all that kind of stuff? And I guess we never really did quite state what Camp Philip is, so you can do that too. <laughs> the introductions want. never really happened. <laughs> I can do that on the front end. <laughs> awesome. Cam, you want to go plug yourself? Yeah. So this summer at Camp Philip, I'll be working as um, one of two junior staff directors. I'll be working with high school volunteers who want to come and learn what it uh, means to be a leader, um, a counselor, and, and just get involved at Camp Philip. So if that's you, um, start thinking about maybe maybe doing junior staff next summer. Um, as far as my own my own social media and stuff, I'm on Instagram at Cam Shro. And that's that. And I'll include that at the bottom. Also include a, a link to the Camp Phillip website at the bottom. Matthew, do you have any social media you want to put out there for the world or no? Awesome. And you can find all the Gird Up stuff at girdup.com or girdupministries.com. <laughs> there is a website now, thanks to the eighth grade boy who helped me set it up. Um, and uh, you can find us on Instagram at girdup underscore B underscore A underscore man. Uh, you can find us on Facebook um, and you can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Uh, make sure you reach out, be a part of the community um, and go buy a t-shirt, man. Matthew, what's your t-shirt size? Awesome. I'll make sure you get one. Yeah, thanks, bro. I appreciate having you on. I look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully see you sometime this summer. Awesome. Thank you. See you, Matthew. All right. Go be the man God created you to be.
Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as Gird Up underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash Gird Up. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.